I started seeing a cadence of strong, independent, Black queer women that are kicking ass at literally every point in history. We've never not kicked ass. Sister is at a start was one of those people that has been a huge inspiration on me. Not even like the musical aspect. Yes, super important. But I think that for me, Sister Rosetta Thorpe's, her fortitude is the first thing that inspires me and then the music and then her, the way that she expressed herself through guitar. Welcome to the Heavy Girls Podcast. I'm Christina Long, the creative director of Black Girls World Zine, based in New York City. We love alternative music, heavy music, mathcore, and everything in between. In this podcast, we chat with amazing musicians and creatives in the scene, taking a deeper dive into their creative practice. In this podcast, we talk to guitarist Gabby, a multi-talented Brooklyn-based musician and entrepreneur who leads up the Tulips Band and a suite of additional creative pursuits. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Heavy Girls podcast so that you can stay up to date on all our upcoming events and announcements. Welcome to this episode of Heavy Girls with Black Girls World. This is Courtney Long, Senior Editor of Black Girls World on the ones and twos. And today we have the opportunity to interview Guitar Gabby. We are so happy to see her. She is the pioneer of challenging the equality of power in every industry. She's the definition of music meets activism. Guitar Gabby, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, thanks for having me. I love the energy. Um, my name is Guitar Gabby. I am the founder and CEO of the Black Female uh, and Non-Binary Rock Collective called The Tulips. And we are an international Black female and non-binary rock collective that tours. We do a lot of film projects. Um, but we also double as a self-management agency that provides music business um, and entertainment business education to um, young girls and queer youth. And we also um, are a consulting firm and we specialize in development, intellectual property, um, strategy, development, and we do all of those things in conservation, music, film, and law. So we are, yeah, we're an activism-based band, that collective that really, you know, pushes for equality across industries. Girl, that's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. I be stressed out sometimes, but then I de-stress and start all over again. <laughs> I'm awake. Now, we were just saying before we um, uh, jumped uh, into this session that <clears throat> we definitely see a lot of overlap in how you've structured the different initiatives around the tulips. Um, I would say Black Girls World um, is kind of in a similar journey, right, where we just keep building out all these new ways, these new touch points and and also these new sort of business opportunities. Um, and, you know, it's fun and, and it's exciting, but it's also a lot of multitasking. <laughs> um, so we can definitely <laughs> um, right. One question I had for you, Gabby, is, you know, that legal element of it all, right? Like, especially as creatives, how did you uh, sort of first tap into that layer of it that as a creative, you you might um, find some empowerment through 
the the legal uh, method? Um, growing up, my dad was very keen on um, wanting to make sure that I understood the business behind whatever industry I would end up going to. My dad wasn't in law. He was in law enforcement. My grandfather was as well. But growing up, my grandfather also was a songwriter um, and business owner. So I grew up um, working with Flash watching my dad and his brothers and grandfather and my grandfather kind of building this family business and also having the education on my mom's an educator and my grandmother on my mom's side was an educator. So I kind of grew up in this space close to business and also education. And I think after my parents really started to see the spark and the passion that I had for music and conservation, they just wanted me to be exposed to understanding the business side of that. Um, just because, I mean, again, they weren't necessarily musicians or really in the industry like that, but they were older than me and knew that the world is a evil place, can be a very evil place, um, and that you need to just know how to protect yourself. So um, I used to read a lot, spend a lot of time reading on the copyright website. We would print out all of the different like FAQs and like pages that kind of talked about, you know, copyright and intellectual property and trademarking and what is the difference and how do you do it? So I spent a lot of time just really navigating through the website. I started writing music from a very young age, so it, and it felt special to me. So we spent a lot of time reading and then like copywriting my music. So I have this catalog of like hundreds of songs that have all been copywritten, but a lot of it was through trial and error of me just learning the process and the system and the law. Um, and then later on, getting into law school, I studied environmental law and policy. And a lot of the, and then later on studied um, music, music law, intellectual property and trademarking. And the commonalities that I saw uh, between conservation and entertainment law wasn't necessarily subject-based. It was more so the principle. Um, and then I started realizing that that's really all that law is. It's extracting principles and applying them to different industries. But I think that the way that um, those industries are marketed to society can sometimes make it feel like, well, you know, if I'm a musician and I'm in school for something that's not music related, then, you know, I'm on two different paths when really there's a lot of crossover and you just have to find that. And I call that the intersections between passion. So all of that to say, for me, it started with literally my dad just wanting me to learn and my mom just saying, you have to, you know, learn and protect yourself and just kind of taking my own path and finding the, the bridges, basically just filling those gaps. That's awesome. I think that's so great that you had uh, such a supportive family. Um, and you're right. Like you. there are these sweet spots out there, right? To this sort of right. potential balance between the things that right. you're really passionate about. Um, and then like ways to still do it while protecting yourself, uh, but also making right. a living. <laughs> right. Right, that's real important, real important. Gabby, when we Googled your name, I'm not sure if you know, but when we Google your name, another suggested search that comes up right after is Sister Rosetta Tharp. So she once famously said, rock and roll is just sped up rhythm and blues. And I listened to your last album, Musicology. I really loved Hold On A Little Less Tighter. And I know you had some instrumental tracks in there. I was wondering if you knew much about Sister Rosetta Tharp and, you know, what has been your influence for your musical practice? First of all, like, I am literally going to cry. 
I did not know that that was a thing. Um, so I'm like honored to even be in the same or general Google shirt sister that I thought. Um, but actually it's funny you bring her up because she really, as I've gotten older and started really learning about like the history of rock, which I didn't start learning until I fortunately went to an HBCU and was exposed to learning about the diaspora and learning about the history that, that our ancestors um, built and like how we're carrying those things on in different industries. But as I started learning about sisters at Atharb and Tina Bell and all of these other black women, not just in rock, but like just pioneers in music, I started seeing the, uh, I started seeing a cadence of, of strong, independent black queer women that are kicking ass at literally every point in history. We've never not kicked ass. And, um, Sister Rosetta Tharp was one of those people that has been a huge inspiration on me, not even like the musical aspect. Yes, super important. But I think that for me, Sister Rosetta Tharp's, um, her fortitude is the first thing that inspires me and then the music and then her, the way that she expressed herself through guitar. But I, I have, I have so much respect for the fortitude that her and even like Jimi Hendrix and Muddy Waters and all of these Black people that came before us, Chuck Berry, the the amount of stuff that they had to go through societally, like, and being in music and, and, and in the era that they were all coming up, especially Sister Rosetta Tharp. I mean, like, I can only imagine, because if we're dealing with what we have to deal with as Black queer women in society now, I can only imagine what she was having to deal with in the early, early 1900s. So the fact that she just persevered not to say that it's easy but to say that to see how she persevered and still is a staple as like the godmother of of rock and roll and the way that she approached that life trajectory um has always been super influential on me and i i think that the biggest influence for me from sisters at Tharp, again outside of her music and guitar playing was um just kind of finding those similarities of hard moments in life um, I also work a lot in the corporate space, and that's always been a very difficult journey for me because I'm an extremely creative person, and I, I, I like to blend my creativity and my approach with music to the corporate space, and that's not always welcome. Like, as a matter of fact, it's like aggressively um, frowned against. I feel like in a lot of spaces, um, but when I encounter those, those moments, I just think back to what would some of my icons and like black people that really, really push the envelope across history, what would our ancestors have done? Would they just sit here and take it or would we find a way to work around it? And that's part of the reason why I really, really love strategizing. Cause I see moments in life like that challenges in life as an opportunity to strategize and grow stronger rather than, mm-hmm. you know, someone has taken something away from me. So all that to say, my my inspiration for music is not necessarily music itself. It's more so life experience. Have you heard the news? It's all over the place. I heard it in the car. I heard it on the radio. Wait. I heard it on the radio. <laughs> so Oh, I saw it in the sky. Girl, just continue with your ideas. Uh, 
Don't forget to like and subscribe to the Heavy Girls podcast so that you can stay up to date on all our upcoming events and announcements. I definitely like what you said about like that we always find a way to work around things, right? You know, yeah, um, can definitely resonate with that. Um, there's a lot of rejection, right, in creative spaces, you know, somebody's always saying no. Um, but I do feel like we're part of this larger legacy where it's like, okay, fine, shut the door. I'll just go find another door or maybe I'll skip the door altogether. I'll just go find another one. I'm going to build one. Mm -hmm. Period. Um, (laughs) Right. Exactly. That's just what we do. (laughs) Yep. 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 Um, Courtney, did you have another question? Yeah, my next question is Courtney, in your yeah. most I'm I'm known as the question asker. Yeah, <laughs> All right. In your most recent issue of Guitarist magazine, um, I noticed in a lot of the interviews they talked about a lot of artists talked about a seismic shift that's being seen across industries for black women in terms of exposure, press, and opportunities. I wanted to get your your thoughts on that, you know, especially in, you know, the time where we're seeing, you know, a lot of oppression and stuff that's currently happening now. How does, like, I feel like for Blackers, well, sometimes it can be a fine line to walk between wanting to get more exposure and feeling like sometimes the exposures can be kind of weird. So I just wanted to hear, like, how your thoughts on that. That's a really good question. And I and I do think that it's a double-edged sword. I think that um, intentionality plays a very large role in that. And I, I have come to learn, um, especially when I started getting more involved on the back end of press and like being the one that was curating, writing and editing rather than the person that was being interviewed, I started to notice the difference. And I think that part of the double-edged sword with that is that, you know, press, has so much power to correctly or inadequately portray who someone is by the way that their words are edited. And one thing that I've learned is that, you know, when I've done interviews, I, you know, I might give a response that's very pointed and very, very clear and concise, especially when it relates to opportunities for Black creatives. Um, And then when I look at the final interview I'm like "Mm, that's not as like sharp as what I was saying like it's generally what I said but like I had a very specific set of words that I used to get the severity of the point across and I have been um, I've had those moments where I've had interviewers or, or editors kind of shift some of those words to kind of pull back some of the harshness is not the right word but you get what I'm saying so I think that um I my approach to helping to open up the gates of providing more of those opportunities that are for us by us has been from an editing perspective. Like I, I'm the diversity editor for Guitar Girl magazine. And every year when I curate our, um, I belong edition, I, I have grown to be very sensitive to the way that to, to really listening to people intentionally listening to people, whether that's over the phone or whether that's reading through their interview and going back to say, Hey, I have a couple more questions to make sure that I am I am clearly getting what it is that you're trying to say. And then when I go through my editing phase, I'm not necessarily redoing 
the sentence structure, I'm more so looking at like the grammar or like any like paragraph spaces, that kind of stuff. Um, so I say all that to say that I think it is a double-edged sword, but I think that it can work to our advantage or work to the artist's advantage if you know what to look for and, and what to ask and how to, you know, how to answer things. And a lot of that stuff, unfortunately, we don't always get access to having those types of like PR classes or really working with someone who cares enough to say, hey, I just want to let you know before I edit this, boom, boom, boom. So I, I don't know. I, I can go on a tangent about that, but I don't know. I think at the end of the day, what I'm trying to say is that it is a double-edged sword and it can work to your advantage or not to your advantage. But I think that that's the reason why education um, about the way that the business is set up is important for young girls and trans youth to learn from a very young age so that they know how to protect and build their brand. Yeah, that's awesome. I think education is a very powerful tool. Yeah, I was um, I was just gonna ask um, if you could share a bit more, Gabby, about these girls' rock camps and um, mm-hmm. sort of how they're structured and um, how uh, how you work with them specifically. A little bit of a loaded question um, because we do a lot with Girls Rock. Um, But I guess the most concise way to kind of explain how and what we do in that space is to give people context, Girls Rock Camp is a global uh, coalition. There are different camps in so many different cities. I mean, there are a hundred camps, hundreds of camps around the world. Um, And all of them have a similar structure of wanting to provide a week or two weeks of camp for kids to come. They form bands, learn how to write a song and perform it at the end of the week. Um, Tulips has always been very supportive of that model, but we've also been very, very keen on wanting to push the envelope a little bit and make sure that kids are also equally exposed to music business education. Um, So what we've been doing since 2014, 2013, 2014, is we come in and we provide that supplemental education with different camps. We host different workshops, um, and it ranges in ages. We worked with super young kids with girls rock camps, like you know the six year olds, the seven year olds, all the way up to you know into adult camps. Um, so that's one aspect of what we do. And then the other aspect is working on the consulting end. So we do a lot of consulting and um, redevelopment, um, strategic support, strategic development, all of that kind of stuff for different camps. And then the last aspect of that is uh, board representation. So. I'm the president of the global uh, board of directors. My colleague, Jess Garland, um, is also the treasurer of that board. And then we also, she has her own camp, Swan Strings. Um, she also has Girls Rock Dallas. So we, we Tulips Consulting Group plays a very large role in the Girls Rock space to just kind of provide those resources, not just for kids, but also for adults um, to make sure that we're leading by example. Because once those kids come into space that space they're really looking for you know looking to the adults on you know uh just really for everything so we like to make sure that we're not only supporting the kids but that we're also supporting adults and creating structures that are sustainable and actually inclusive for young girls and trans youth no matter their ethnic background how they identify etc that's awesome and just like kind of a side note just out of my own curiosity like would you say any of the sort of creative things that come out of the camps are competitive like do they join any kind of like competitions or even later on like continue to be a band outside of the organization some of them do some of them do and that's that's the reason why 
Tubes was very keen on. We're seeing kids that are coming to camp year after year. I mean, some of them grow up, like spend their whole teen years in Girls Rock Camp every single year. We've seen lots of kids come out of that and start their own bands or still have the same band that they started in Girls Rock Camp. But that's all the more reason why, you know, education is super important for them as they get older and, you know, take it more serious. I guess that ties me into my next question. Um, it seems like with activism, you're really focused on making sure these young kids feel empowered. But for you, who mm-hmm. empowered you? Who mentored you to become and keep being a musician? Honestly, my parents. My parents have like literally, they have been, I've had a lot of great um, people in my life, people that I look up to, mentors. I have a lot of great mentors in the legal, a lot of great black, um, black men actually that are mentors of mine in the legal industry. When I was first starting law school, one of my best friends growing up, her dad was also an attorney and worked in Lola Palooza. So like, I've always had a lot of really great people throughout Spelman and Vermont law in particular, but my parents have been the constant through every single way when I was like really going through it and wasn't sure if I was going to be able to continue because I just struggle with my identity as a black person in the rock space. And my parents were there and my mom would always just remind me like, this is temporary. Everything in life is temporary, but your experience is, you know, that transcends all. So make sure that your experience is something that you want it to be and don't let other people define that. Oh so my yeah, my parents. <laughs> That's a great mom. That is a great mom. I don't know. Sound like you have some very lovely parents, you know. Lovely parents. parents. My mom is coming back right now too. (laughs) Our parents I find a little more they're they're a little complicated at times, right? They're um they're this generation that came from the south side of Chicago. And uh, worked right. their way out of the hood and got it to the burbs. But we would find right. that, um, you know, usually when we would ask for help or something, you know, they'd be more like, go get a brick and knock his teeth out. <laughs> we'd be like, listen, right. Right. Oh, that, I can't that do that. Now, my dad <laughs> gave me some of that too, though. <laughs> my dad definitely gave me some of that. My dad, no, seriously, like, my dad is from Atlanta. Like, he's from Atlanta, Atlanta. So my dad is, you know, he will still make sure, you know, don't start nothing, but it will be ended <laughs> if it's brought over here. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, Gabby, the last question I have for you is, who are you bopping to? Who, like, what are a couple of bands you think people need to check out um, that haven't gotten as much attention? I'll be honest, y'all. He's not even in rock. But Smino, do y'all, know, do y'all listen to Smino? I love Smino so much. And honestly, Smino really, I really, really love his approach to creating music. It's so different. I never know what I'm going to get. Every album is different. Every single is different. The style, like, I love Smino. So um, Smino is definitely someone I listen to on a regular basis. J.I.D., Earth Gang, all of those guys. And then, honestly, y'all, a lot of people think that because I'm in rock, I listen to rock like 24-7. But I've been listening to a lot of trap. I listen to a lot of R&B. Um, I, I listen to rock, but like when I'm in work mode, I'm listening to Megan Thee Stallion, yeah. you know, Migos, Rest in Peace, Take Off. 
Um, all of those guys. Summer Walker, Smino, J.I.D. Just, yeah. You gotta have both. You okay. Gotta <laughs> you gotta have fun. Turn on some Migos. <laughs> Migos. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Gabby, for interviewing with us today. We appreciate it. Thank (laughs) y'all. All right.